This podcast is a production of Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, check out our website at communitycovenant.net. Scripture this morning is from Philippians 1, verses 1 through 11. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints of Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about you, since I have you in my heart. For whether I am with you, or whether I am in chains, or defending or confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ Jesus, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus, to the glory and praise of God. Well, we have just a ton of... We try not to make too many announcements around here because, you know, we know that's not why you're here, and it's not the main thing. But there's a there's a lot of them today. So let me let me just give you a couple. Uh, you, okay, what's next Sunday? Easter. You guys are sharp this morning, and we start Easter earlier here. We started at eight o'clock, which is almost sunrise, depending on you know how things work out. And um, we'll have cinnamon rolls. We try to give incentive for people to come to the early service and the later service because. Uh, the military services are quite packed. So cinnamon rolls at 7.30ish, and then uh, we'll start our first service at 8. And then we have something special for kids at the 5 o'clock service. But uh, four services, uh, 8, 9.30, 11, and 5. It's a long day. Uh, and so uh, for some of us. And, um, yeah, and then... Uh, uh, Thursday night, we have our Maundy Thursday service, and, and uh, every year people ask me, what does Maundy mean? And I, and I say, I, I can't remember. I'll look it up for you. So there you go. Uh, but it, it has to do with Christ, remembering Christ on that night when he was betrayed. We're going to remember tonight. We're going to have communion that night. We're going to have communion today. But it, it's a really wonderful thing that we do together. I love that service. It's, it's very family, kid-friendly, open to all. And um, also related to that, we have a passion prayer thing we've done the last few years. You can sign up back there at the prayer room. Take an hour to pray, and if you can do that after the service, that would be great. Okay, there's, there's Easter week. Also this week, you are being invited to vote. It's a privilege to vote. We had a thing this week here uh, helping to process Prop 5. Uh, I'm going to have something in a newsletter going out tomorrow. Um, you know, and our spirit in that is I'm not telling you how to vote. I'm just going to you know, give you some help in that way. But I ask you to think and pray and then vote on Tuesday. All right. Let's see. Did I get it all? Oh, tonight. Yeah. Our last uh, Lent season 
series that we've been doing, and this one's called Waste Management. Waste is spelled, I think it's spelled this way, yeah, instead of, instead of like waste as in the garbage dump. But it's anyway, it has to do with nutrition, and Young Fisher will be our presenter. It's an hour and 15 minutes. Does anybody in here need to know anything about nutrition? And just some of those reminders that can be that, that start new habits in our life. Um, I'm told that she does a great job. So 6.30, and that'll go for an hour, hour and 15 minutes. All right, I want to start with, you'll recognize this, I think. This has become such a common uh, prayer, the serenity prayer. Uh, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change to encourage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. And somehow God has used that prayer more. I don't know. It's one of the more. Am I right? You guys know that one? It's uh, got a lot of currency it, and it's been around for a while. It's only it's part of a bigger prayer, but this is the part that that people grab onto. So AA and 12 step groups particularly have appreciated uh, what this prayer is saying. Now, courage to change. Uh, let's talk about that. Is it hard? Does it take courage to change? Oh, well, if anybody says no, I don't, I don't know. I don't relate. So uh, I want to tell you a little story about two, two kids that we were babysitting. I've told this story. Uh, the first time I told it, I probably shouldn't have because those kids were, it, was, it wasn't that long, you know, and, and um, now they're in their 20s. The mother of one of these kids is here today. <laughs> and the little girl's name is Hannah. So, Debbie, wherever you are, yeah, okay, you can tell her I told her this. She'll be fine now that she's older. And, and the little boy's name was Stephen, and Stephen, um, Stephen Wilson. All right, so here it goes. We're talking, it, we were babysitting these two. I can't remember what it was. It was, uh, they were each about six years old. And we were getting ready for bed. And we were, Stephen was struggling to change something in his life called thumb sucking, okay? And so uh, Hannah, we, we, we were talking, and somehow we got into the conversation, and Hannah makes the comment, I'm trying not to th- suck my thumb anymore. Sometimes my dad does it to remind me not to do it. So you can kind of see a dad, you know, doing that, and just a reminder, you don't do it, but he put his thumb in his mouth to reminder. Okay, then Stephen pipes up, and his dad is my best friend. Stephen pipes up, my dad never sucks his thumb. And then he says, this is the funniest part. I want you to hear this, because it speaks to our hearts as humans. He says, actually, I'm not always sucking my thumb when people think I'm sucking my thumb. Sometimes I'm just feeling my loose teeth. Right. <laughs> Apply that to your life. That's called justification, and uh, and and there's shame in you know in, in that kind of stuff. And so you try to cover it up. And it was so cute. But um, now, so for us, now I want to tell you that Stephen is a United States Marine right now, and the news I have is that he is no longer sucking. No. Okay. All right. Yeah. In fact, I thought of a joke. It would give new meaning to the the, the uh, acronym TSA. Thumbsuckers Anonymous, right? Okay, never mind. <laughs> Bad. Look at this list and see what you may want to change. I bet there's something on here for all of us. Maybe um, a lot. Yeah. 
So just, just, I'll leave it up there for a minute. And there, there's things in there that we may feel uh, wanting to justify or shame about. And it is so hard. It is so hard to change. So this morning I want to say I've got good news for you. And I assume that that's one of the reasons that you come here is to hear the truth. And the truth is there is good news. And the good news is you, well, let me start with the absolute news. The absolute news is if you are in Christ, one of the greatest promises in the Bible is if you are in Christ, you will change. You will change. Uh, it's not an option, and we're going to explore that this morning. But the other truth is that because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you can change. So that's an option. You will change if you are in Christ, and I hope, I hope that you are and you're invited in, always. And you can change. Um, but it will take courage. It will take faith. It will take resources beyond you. It will also take your will entering in, as we've tried to make clear in this series. The Holy Spirit of God wants to do things in us, but he needs us to participate with him, to be open to his uh, power in our lives. And to do that, you're going to need confidence. And so we're going we're to focus on that word confidence a little bit more this morning. And uh, confidence, because uh, well, there's voices that we hear, aren't there? Have you ever said to yourself, oh, I guess I'm always going to suck my thumb, whatever it is. I'm always going to be angry. I'm always going to have fear. I'm always going to have uncontrolled emotions. I'm always going to, whatever it is. And that's, that's, a, that's your thoughts informing your heart, and it, it bleeds the confidence out of our lives. Or someone else has said that to you. And what we're going to do this morning is look at Paul, uh, this, particularly this verse uh, in one six, and see how he responds and gives us hope to people who were lacking confidence. Okay, so I want to give you, here's our, here's our outline this, this morning. Who is confident of change? We're going to look at Philippians 1.6. Who isn't so confident of change? And why is Paul so confident? So the answer to the first question is actually found in the third question. Okay, I gave it away. But, yeah, Paul is very confident of change, that, that God can change people. But if you read this verse, and this is a famous verse, this is if you're in Mountain Men or Women at the Well around here, we've all memorized this verse. I would encourage you, I mean, if you haven't memorized any other verses in this Lenten season, memorize Philippians 1.6. Being confident of this, he who began a good work in you will carry it out to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It's just, it's so hopeful if you let the, the meaning of that sink into your life. God's going to change you. That's what it's saying. And you can change. You will be changed and you can change. So uh, Paul is uh, confident of the change that God can do in the lives of the Philippian church that he's writing to. And I want to say, if I can do this, I am confident of the change that God can do in you, in the Eagle River, in this particular Eagle River church. It's important to have confidence in each other. It's important for me to have confidence in you. That God, and it's, in, it's really confidence in God. So let's, let's run number one there. The irony of that is who is confident? Paul, but I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because it's so obvious it's Paul is the one who's confident. But the irony is that Paul doesn't have earthly reasons to be confident, really. He's in a prison in Rome when he writes this in 63-ish A.D. We're not exactly sure. But he's writing from prison. 
And he's writing as Nero is uh, behaving badly. The, the, one of the worst emperors of Rome, the first emperor to persecute Christians, uh, Nero is um, is not doing. Uh, he, he is. Let me give you a. This is from uh, the Great Fire of Rome. Would have been about a year later, July of sixty four. And Tacitus, the historian, the Roman historian, who we from you know you look for outside sources. Does the what confirms the Bible? Well, here's one of those things. Writing from one sixteen eighty, the Roman historian Tacitus says, consequently, to get rid of the report, there was a report that that Nero had started the Great Fire of Rome. He probably didn't, but. Wanting to find a scapegoat, Nero fastened the guilt and, the, and inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class hated for their abominations called, what? It's us, folks. He looked for a scapegoat, this, this young, incipient movement that was just beginning in, in Rome. And he, Nero was, was the one who made, uh, took Christians and, and lit them on fire as lampposts at night. That, that was part of what he did. The feeding the lions, all the rest. So Nero, Nero is the man who killed his mother. He, killed his, he kicked his wife in the stomach while she was pregnant. Both his wife and the child died. And in the end, he commits suicide. Well, there's much more we could say about Nero. But I'm just telling you that Paul has reasons to not be confident as he writes from prison in, in Rome to the church in Philippi. But he is full. And the key word in the letter to the Philippians that Paul writes is joy. And, and his joy and his confidence kind of ooze out of this passage we just read. So who is not, let's go to the second question. Who is, oops, I'm going to come, come back to that. Who is not yet confident? Uh, it would be the church in Philippi. They are not so confident as Paul. They are experiencing pressure from, I'm going to give you two things, pressure from without and problems from within. Okay? And this is where confidence can bleed out of us. Pressure from without, and that is that, I, I want to get that, this is the, the earliest uh, artistic depiction that we have of the cross. And it's on the, uh, on the left is the actual, uh, it, it's, it's graffiti. So this is called the Alexamanus Graffito. Right? It's graffiti. And it was found in 1857 on a Roman wall that was uncovered by archaeologists. Now, the tracing of that is on, on the right. And it's, if you look at it carefully, it's a mocking of Christ on the cross. Christ is in the form of a donkey. This is, this is somebody who, is very, who's, who hates Christians. This is the, the context of the early church. And um, we don't know exactly when this was uh, first drawn on that wall, but it w either first century to third century, somewhere in there. And you, so you see a mocking of Christ being crucified as a donkey. And then you have Alex Manus, who's the one on the right. And the title is, that is in the, uh, the letters there that you can see is that Alex Manus worshiping his God. Now, you think that isn't a slam? <laughs> When you depict somebody worshiping a donkey on a cross, a cross meaning the place of horror and, uh, uh, yeah, all the bad stuff in the world. So the, this, the culture in which, and this is the reason I bring this up, it, it wasn't found in Philippi, but Philippi is a Rome, the leading Roman colony in the area. The Philippians are feeling pressure from without. We know that. And then problems from within. 
Um, if I can, uh, problems from within. And if you read Paul's letter carefully, you'll find little hints, and it's not clear because Paul is so joyful himself, but there's hints that the people in Philippi are struggling. They are blaming each other, arguing, complaining, and backbiting each other. And when that happens, confidence seeps out. You're, you're one, and we're talking about confidence to change. Can people really change? And um, they are focusing, you know, it seems at least we, from what we can tell, they are focusing on what is not yet changed in their brothers and sisters in Christ. And what happens when we do that? You can focus on me right now and look at, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff. I know I can take Rory down in a wrestling match or whatever, but it, you know, look, just look at me. I'm a very imperfect pastor of a very imperfect church. And if you look for imperfection, guess what? You will always find it, guaranteed. Always. Just, but what happens if you look for what has changed in people? What is, if I can say it this way, what is, what is the good? You'll find it. So where do you focus your eyes? It's a choice on where you focus your eyes. And if you focus your eyes on what has changed in people, you're going to have confidence that God can change people and he can change you. So Paul writes at the end of Philippians this famous verse that, is so good for relationships, particularly marriages. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Don't think about... I mean, there's all that other stuff, but where are you going to focus? What's going to be the focus? Now, this takes on two kinds of, um, uh, two kinds of manifestations. One is, I mentioned earlier, self-talk. Saying to yourself, I will never change. I'm always going to be the way I've been. And there's no point even trying anymore. And what you're saying to the Holy Spirit is, go away. You may want to change me, but I don't want to change. And you know, if you're not in that place yourself, you know people who are in that place. It's just, it's so hard. It is so painful to know that God is all about changing people and they don't want to change. Um, and they have the power to veto God in that way. And it's sad. So that's the, at the individual level, we say that to ourselves. I will never change. It drains you of confidence. And then maybe even more cancerous is the talk that you will not change. You'll never change. You're, you're going to be the same. You're, you're, like, you're like Jesus, only in a bad way. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's, that's you with your ways. Anybody ever said that to you? I had a, I had a, I got to bring this up, but I, I've had a good week. And uh, part of it, I had a junior high teacher, our counselor, and my mom just about had a fit with this, uh, this person because he said to her, and then I got this later, that I was never going to, I was going to make it through high school, but that would be about it. That would be that would be the end of the road. And, you know, he had every looking at my track record. He had every reason to not want me to yeah, get my hopes up. OK, so this week, I think it was Wednesday, I get the dreaded email that I've been waiting for from my doctoral program. And I'm in. <laughs> yeah. 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 So. If that counselor's still alive, 
I would love to. Uh, well, what was that list earlier about things on the list? Pride and anger and yeah. I need to do some of that. Well, you will never change. It's so discouraging. That did not. When I heard that, do you think that? I mean, it can motivate you to hear that. Like I'm going to prove them wrong, but it can also be so discouraging. Do you know praise is one of the uh, powerful things in our arsenal in life? Uh, we are to praise God, and the kids this morning praising God. Wasn't that beautiful? And but to praise another person is not a bad thing either. To praise someone, remember Paul and uh, right up there, praiseworthy. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, when you praise someone, you you exude confidence in them, even though they have imperfections, you still praise them. And there's a power in that that it, it helps build their confidence that God can change them. Uh, it's music to my ears, just so you know this. I mean, this, I, mean I, I get joy out of all kinds of, of things that people say to me, but this one probably more than any other. It's when a spouse comes up, or a, even a, a friend or a parent, but I'm thinking mostly spouses, and I'm thinking mostly wives at this point, who come to me and say, I can't believe how much my husband has changed. And they, they're saying it with a smile. They're not saying it the other way, because it does, you know, change goes both directions, right? can happen. But they're saying it, and I, and I know that in Mountain Men, it's one of the things that's given me fuel for the last seven years in Mountain Men, just to know that God is at work in men's lives, and women who look for it. And it's so discouraging, women, when men really think, and they're not, maybe they're just, to the change is slow. Remember, God's just slow, uh, patient with us. And what happens when the wife isn't as patient as God is, and she wants him to be that great spiritual leader, and he's just on his way, and you can discourage him, you can tear down his confidence that he is changing. You can be praising him and, and helping him build his confidence that God is at work in him, or not. My wife is one beautiful person, and I have seen God work in her. I have seen God do things in her, through her. I have seen her deepen her faith and her walk with Christ over the years. I want to praise her right now. There she is right there. And uh, it, it, is, it is really, to, to praise your spouse is a beautiful thing. Now, um, conversely, this is from a psychologist, the single most toxic belief in a relationship is the belief that the other person cannot change. Now, when you say that, you are being an indirect atheist. In, that's what I would say. You're, being, you're, you're saying, you know, God isn't strong enough to awaken that person to change. And it's, that's called no faith. Not, and you don't have to have faith in the person. You have to have faith in God at this point, because there are times where it seems hopeless. As with the Apostle Paul who was at one time a murderer of Christians and changed and became... I mean, it, what, do you think change isn't possible? I mean, look at, look at what God has done. I can, I can show you the catalog of stories, but somehow we just get into these places where we think, what if Paul had written to the, the Philippian church, you know, you guys have been... You guys, have, you guys are not... You don't know what you're doing. You, you're, I was with you 15 years ago, and you haven't grown at all. You're still backbiting, arguing, complaining... Come on, you're never going to change. How would that letter have read differently than we read it? And he could have said that. He could have. There was evidence on the horizon or, or that he could see that would give him justification for saying that. 
whatever is lovely, whatever is excellent, whatever is praiseworthy, whatever is noble, think on these things. Think on them. Look for them. You will find them. Okay. Why such confidence? The third the third part here. Why does Paul have such confidence? And there's two things that he says. The first is, is found in verse 5, where he talks about, from the first day until now you have been partners in the gospel. So when Paul says in verse 6, he who began a good work in you, Paul goes right back to the first day when he came into Philippi on a Saturday. We know that because the women were gathered there. They were Jewish or um, God. I mean, they were, they were celebrating the, the Jewish Sabbath on a river outside of Philippi. And Paul came into to, he found them there. That's where he went first to those the, the, the Jews. These were um, yeah, anyway. And th- there was a woman there named. Lydia, and this is all in Acts chapter 16, if you want to read about it. It's an amazing account of how God can change people. And it says that God, or, uh, Paul spoke to her the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the Lord opened her heart. It's a beautiful little phrase, the Lord opened her heart. And she became a believer in Christ and her household with her. And there you have the beginning of the church in Philippi. This would have been in the late 40s. So Paul is writing in 63, so roughly 15 years earlier. And then he encounters a young servant girl who is enslaved and oppressed by demons and by bad men who are businessmen who want to make a profit off of her. And Paul sets her free. And so she is part of that church in Philippi. And then the jailer. We've talked about this before, but the jailer who was in, um, and his world was shaken by an earthquake. And he comes to Christ. So there, there you have a view of how the church got started. Paul says, I remember the first day. I remember the beginning. I remember how God was at work in you. How great is his power. How the gospel transforms lives. The gospel that holds holiness and love together, which we talked about last week. It's not one or the other. It's both and. Only God could do that. And there's power in this gospel. There is power to change people just like he has changed this, these three people in Philippi. He changes people today. And uh, he changed me. He's changing me. So Paul is remembering the beginning the begin and he think of the cross. Just if you want that image of something that's changed, you remember the the teasing, mocking cross with Christ as a donkey being crucified. That's the image that culture had of the cross. Do you know that that Christians until roughly the year 300 would not use the cross in worship or wear it around their necks? It was such a symbol of despicability. <laughs> Who would ever want to celebrate anything in the cross? It took them 300 years or so to figure out. And then as, Christ, as Christianity became more uh, accepted in culture, the cross was embraced as a symbol. But think of how God took the ugliest symbol in that world, namely the cross where Jesus died, and he turned it into something beautiful. If God can transform that, he can transform people. Right? It's beautiful. So the power that was experienced there on the first day. And then uh, we have the beginning then, Paul mentions in verses 5 and 6, but then he goes to the end. <laughs> Until the day of Christ is how verse 6 is, uh, it completes verse 6. K 
carried on to completion the good work that God began in you. The good work that God began in you that I saw will carry it on to completion. So now he began the work. It's being completed now and it will be complete on the day of Christ Jesus. So he's he's inviting them into the ongoing work of God, which we've been talking about in this series that that you can change. But then he says you will change. Because it will be completed on the day of Christ Jesus. This is the good news. This is the best news. It's not meant to give us an escape to say, well, I'm not going to change now. So I'll just wait, wait for God to zap me. Come on. Come on. We don't, that's not how it works. We want to participate with the Holy Spirit now to do that which God will ultimately do. On the day of Christ Jesus, that day. Now, now you need to know this because this is underbelieved today. But every Christian, and I'm going to say this boldly, every Christian for 2,000 years, if they are truly in Christ, gets excited about the second coming of the Lord. Don't try to be the first one to spoil the party. This is big news. This is the best news. And, and we know from uh, others, including the Apostle John, that when that happens, when Jesus comes, John says, we will see him and we will be like him. We aren't all going to look the same, but when we are in Christ, we become our true selves. We will, there will, the, the true you is still out there. We're, we're in process now on that one. Uh, and this breeds confidence. So uh, that day is coming. For Paul, he's developed a taste for it. He hungers for it. He longs for it. I pray that you hunger and long for this table that we're about to come to. It's, it's, a, it's a longing for the future. And so um, we'll become like John also says in, in the, uh, Revelation eleven fifteen that and he's just he's in a, in a, I don't know, euphoric state maybe when he says it. But he says, the kingdom of this world will become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ. And he will reign and he shall reign forever and ever. Okay, now we're here. And he shall. You're missing your cues. We can just, you know. But it's the choir. It's the chorus of heaven. And he shall reign forever and ever. And we were all caught up in that. We will be changed. You don't have an option at that point. The option you have is now. Will you be changed today? Christ, the one who can do it. Uh, so don't say, please, please, please don't say. If there's one thing you can take away here, don't say, I'm never going to change. That is not true. And please don't say, you are never going to change. That's not true either. It's, um, I mean, if it is, it's not, it's not relevant. God can do anything. Would you stand with me? And we're going to read our communion meditation. You'll see the application, I believe. And it'll be up there as we take communion. So let's read this and then we'll pray together. Let's say it together. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Let us pray. Change, change me, O oh Lord. Change me, not that other person. Change me, O oh Lord. And I will be changed. Without you, I can do nothing. But with you, I can do all things. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Helper of the helpless. And breathe life on me today. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.